the Lawyer Show. How's everybody doing today? I'm Jeremy Rosenthal. I'm with Vanita Parker. And today, today we are your lawyers. And so let me tell you a little bit about the Lawyer Show if this is your first time joining us. You ever know how at your workplace uh, you might have water cooler talk. Uh, when I was another lifetime ago, I was a waiter at the Black Eyed Pea and at Chili's and we would hang out in the back and we'd kind of talk about things. You know, we'd talk about you know, the cooks, or we'd talk about the customers. Or the cute girls. The hostesses, how they were doing their jobs. And that's what the lawyer show is. This is your chance to watch lawyers interact and talk about lawyer things. And today, uh, my guest is Vanita Parker, and Vanita... Uh, is a very special guest for many reasons, which you're about to learn about. But also, she works at America's favorite criminal defense law firm, Rosenthal, Calibus, and Tarion. And so uh, today's topic is going to be mental health and the role that it plays in criminal law, which is kind of a big one. So anyway, I'm going to let Vanita start talking. And my whole goal today is to try to get Vanita to laugh at a certain level really hard <laughs> that wasn't it and you'll see why if we can if we can accomplish that but anyway i'm going to go ahead and let uh, vanita introduce herself and talk a little bit about her practice well good afternoon i am vanita parker um i let's see i've been practicing law for 23 years i was an assistant district attorney in dallas county for almost 12 years and have done defense um, since 2009. So the balance of that 11 some years of being a defense attorney. And I practice Collin County and Dallas County, kind of my where I keep most of my practice. And, um, you know, this topic's on mental health and mental illness. Um, back in 2007, late 2007, early 2008, we started, actually, I was the sole person um, that started the mental health division at the Dallas County District Attorney's Office. And I did, I ran that division until I left in March of 2009 at the DA's office. And I have I concentrate on working on mental illness um, cases as a criminal defense attorney. Um, I do all kinds of cases. It doesn't have to be mental illness, but if you do have a client has a mental illness, um, I do focus on that as well. Well, let's talk a bit about, uh, you know, how mental illness um, intersects with criminal law. And I think one of the big uh, misconceptions that that I see from from people from folks um, is that mental illness. The term mental illness has, I think, an unfair connotation. People think of mental illness and they think of the courts, and and instantly in their mind they're thinking of, you know, Jason being psychotic with his machete, right? They think of people who talk to themselves. Uh, they think of homeless people who. Uh, probably do have some more severe types of, of mental illness. Um, but in reality, um, you, you know, don't, aren't we talking a lot about just sort of everyday type things, anxiety, depression, That's right. um, manic episodes? Talk a little bit about that. Well, there are three big diagnoses. They call them the big three. That's bipolar, schizophrenia, and um, 
oh my God, I just drew a blank, in major depressive disorder. Um, PTSD is also a major depressive, I mean, is a mental illness, but it's not one of the big, big three, but it is close in, in basically most recent times. And the DSM is the book that classifies um, mental illness. And that's kind of like the Bible for mental illness. Um, so you've got the big three, but you've also got, you know, individuals that do have ADHD, um, you know, autism, and a lot of the other illnesses that you don't think, and you mentioned anxiety, mm-hmm. and, and those things all fall into mental illness. So it's not just an individual having a psychotic episode that you think about when you think of mental illness. Right. And, and I think the way that I try to explain this to, to my clients as well and, and, and their families, you know, because a lot of times if you had, you know, if somebody's got cancer, they're going to present in a, in a, in a medical fashion with symptoms, right? If somebody has got the flu or, or, coronavirus, they're going to have symptoms that we can hope, you know, in many instances see, and then there's a reason for that diagnosis. There, there's no way, and a lot of times, to diagnose mental illness unless or until somebody's in jail, um, because that's the symptom, right? The symptom is the behavior. Um, and the way that I like to describe it to my clients is that everybody falls within a particular range of behavior. And when you have anxiety and depression, you know, your, your, your range is out here. And to some degree, if you've got a mental illness or, or, or anything that causes you to go beyond that, n- nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I, I feel like I'm going to break the law today. I, I really feel like I want to go to jail. But in, in reality, what's happening is, you know, somebody's behavior is affected to such a degree that, that they're getting in trouble. So it doesn't have to be necessarily like being in a straitjacket. Right, exactly. And it can start um, just with things that are odd and just not normal. And sometimes people, you know, start out their diagnosis and find out when they just start doing stuff that's erratic that they no- don't normally do. You know, with depression, individuals can sometimes break down and just start crying or, you know, they have the highs like bipolar. You're starting and you laugh out loud and you don't know why you're laughing. Um, There are those that that's sometimes how they find them. They just, you know, they get mad, they get frustrated and they eventually find out that sometimes it doesn't have to be a criminal offense Mm -hmm. that an individual commits, but it can start as early as that. It just de- depends on um, whether there is the family support mm-hmm. and you have someone that's there watching and knowing you. And a lot of times with some of these criminal cases, um, individuals don't have that family support. Yeah, right. Um, take me back to the Dallas County DA's office um, and talk about the need for the mental health division, why it got started and, and how it, how it's Genesis. Okay. And the mental illness um, division that I started back in 2000, late 2007 is when it kind of started developing and went into action in 2008. Um, we saw the need um, for the increasing numbers of individuals and cases of mental illness. It has since, you know, the numbers have risen and we see it. It's more accepted now. 
it's more an acceptance than people talk, you know, about about behind closed doors. Um, you know, if you have cancer, people talk about it. And now I think we need to open up the dialogue and say, if you do have a mental illness, it's something to talk about, and it's not something to be ashamed about. Mm-hmm. And so, so as a prosecutor, tell me, t- talk to me, because one of the, and, and another part of the lawyer show is me talking over everybody a lot. And Vanita, Vanita was a good sport um, to, to, to come on today. Um, and very, very honored and very thrilled to have you. Well, thank you. Well, uh, I, I'm just trying to get you to laugh. <laughs> you want me to snort, and I'm not well, going to. That's where you're trying to go. <laughs> look, I, I'm trying to keep the, 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 the viewers well, tuned. Well, that's all I have to do is say something funny. And that's exactly. the challenge, because I'm not good at that either. Um, so one of, my, one of the things that I've always kind of thought when it comes to mental illness because as as you know and you've you've your your practice is split it sounds pretty much evenly uh, close to 12 years as a prosecutor and now coming on that as a you know on the defense side i mean from my perspective we get the families that come in right we get mom and dad and aunt and uncle and and you know husband and wife that come in who who live with this every day you know they live with their loved one who who's got you know something something kind of going on and so another way to think about it is and and as a prosecutor right you know you were used to i was used to when i you know for for the time that i was you would get somebody who would come in and you're dealing with the store owner who got stolen from right you're dealing with the person who got assaulted you're dealing with sometimes the person whose house got broken into and and you're seeking justice for them but you're not hearing you're not hearing all the, you know, you're not hearing why this person is doing what they're doing. Exactly. We get to hear that. So, so that to me is what's kind of interesting about one of the things about that was interesting to me about your starting the Dallas County Mental Health Division is because you did it as a prosecutor. I did. And so, it, it was eye opening. It was, you know, a lot of times people think, sorry, um, a lot of times people think of prosecutors and having no heart and, you know, only well, they wanting, are lawyers. <laughs> um, touche. Um, they want, you know, they just want to seek the person. They want to see the person in jail. That's their job is what people think. And it's not. It's to seek justice. And um, as a prosecutor, when I started this division, it may it opened my eyes and it helped me actually transition to be a defense attorney. And I think I do that a good job at that. And it opens and you realize that there's so much more that you don't know. And then once you get in, like when I got into the position of um, the prosecutor and the chief of the mental health division, it made me realize that, oh, there is more to a case and that there is stuff that is mitigating that um, an individual does go through and it's not black and white as you sometimes see it. And You've got to take the whole thing as a package mm-hmm. and determine it. And sometimes individuals are faking it. And you, it, it is something you've got to pick out. What, <laughs> what someone's faking or malingering right. is what a lot of times the psychologists, psychiatrists use. Tell, 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 tell J, oh, by the way, you're watching JP, Kathy, and the Crew Network. You can see JP, Kathy, and the Crew, 730 to 9. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You're watching the Lawyer Show. We're on uh, every Thursday from noon to one. Tell tell JP, Kathy, and the Crew Nation what malingering is. Malingering is an individual. It's a medical term. Um, just basically, when someone's faking it, 
and they're trying to think that if I have mental illness, I might get a better deal. And a lot of individuals come into jail thinking if I say I was crazy or I have a mental illness, that I might not be punished as severely as an individual that doesn't have one. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the case at all. Um, there, when individuals come into, I'll use the Collin County Jail um, as an example, they get what's called a mental health assessment if they have an indication that there is a mental illness. And a lot of the mental health um, assessment is self-reporting. So they do talk about hospitalizations, medications they take, and different services that they've had in the community. But um, if they're a, an attorney, you know, I go in and I meet with them and I think there's just not something right. Mm -hmm. You know, besides before going through other processes that attorneys do, competency, et cetera, um, I will have a psychiatric, um, a psychiatric evaluation mm -hmm. of that individual and I'll have a doctor come in and see if I'm really dealing with someone that does have mental illness or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and was there a, was there a particular case that you dealt with as a prosecutor or a particular situation where you thought, man, we, we, we're just, we're just coming up short here and we really need to have some better answers, um, and, and better solutions. Um, was there anything specifically that you remember? Well, there was a case, um, actually, and she's actually been released from the supervision of the courts. And I, I like to call her my, my client, um, my poster child of mm -hmm. dealing with this, it's a mental illness of schizophrenia. Um, I represented a client um, that was accused in back in, I believe, 2008 of throwing her kids and jump, at, basically throwing off her kids um, off I-30 and Jim Miller. Well, you say that with such a big smile on your face. <laughs> that is not... The incident itself was horrific. Obviously, yes. Um, she had just gotten released um, from a mental hospital. Her father had told um, the hospital not to release her, um, but the hospital did release her, and she wasn't ready to be released. Right. And she jumped off the, you know, her, she did, her kids were thrown off the bridge. And they, they, they made it. They survived. They, okay. I've heard this story before. Yes. So, so I know that there's, a, you know, I don't want to seem glib about it. Um, because you're you you are smiling you are smiling at the result that ultimately happened. I am exactly smiling at okay. that. I am not. <laughs> no, no. Of course, this is horror. No, this is just. <laughs> no, it's it's unimaginable. And 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 one of the things to and 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 this is a bit of another topic, and and we won't go quite there, at least not yet. But I mean, one of the things is as a lawyer. I mean, if you, if people hung around our office for any degree of time, I mean, we deal with such extreme behavior issues, not just not the least of which is related to mental illness, but we deal with such extreme situations that if you don't have a dark sense of humor, if you can't read the newspaper about some horrible thing that happened and then just get angry that some other lawyer got the case, you know. Uh, right. Well, unfortunately, we become kind of jaded. A touch. Yes. A touch. <laughs> anyway, so, um, okay, so, so she wasn't ready to be released, had this horrific... Um, incident. Yes, and as well as herself jumping off the bridge. Okay. Because demons were following her, and God told her to to do that. So, 
she did and went through being in the hospital, arrested. She spent over a year and a half to two years in the state hospital. Um, getting back and getting back on medications before she went Probably to Probably CPS came in and... She's no longer, um, has custody of her children, and they were taken away from her. And um, she actually does not have, I mean, she doesn't even see her children to this day. Okay. And, um, yeah. Is that, is that, uh, and I, and I, I ask because I don't know, is that, is that, well, and I guess it's really neither here nor there whether it's her choice or if it's court ordered. I believe it was court ordered. Okay. Um, not to have any contact with them. I see. Um, I, I think once they turn 18, they're adults and they mm -hmm. can have contact with their mom. Not that she doesn't want to see them. And I, I know that for a fact she would like to see them eventually one day. But she has um, now been released from the supervision of the court. And there was a long years of... of you know, working on getting her medicated and, you know, getting her services through MetroCare Dallas um, was the services we used, um, mental health services for, and she was deemed indigent at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so we went through the whole process. She learned how to balance a checkbook. She'd never done something of that nature. We, you know, we basically taught her everyday life skills of what needed to happen, you know, how to rent an apartment, how to buy furniture for that mm -hmm. apartment. And, and you know, uh, mental illness, too, um, this is a severe case, the one that you were, exactly. the, 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 the one that you're talking about. But, but if you think about it, really, if you, you know, if you just really wrap, try to wrap your mind around for a second, what could possibly be so powerful in a, in a person's mind that, could make them do such a a horrific thing, not only to children but to themselves. How powerful that voice in her own mind must have been, coupled with probably a very you know an, an, an insufficient coping mechanism to be able to turn that off. But that shows everybody just the just kind of what you're dealing with. Because again, even if you are in that mind frame, you still know right from wrong, but whatever's going on with you is just so overpowering. Right. And that, that was her situation. Um, she was determined to be insane at mm -hmm. the time. And, you know, people agree with that or don't agree with insanity as, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can go through with, there's other, you know, female cases, the Darley Routier, we can go right. down a whole road of cases, but it is something that is real. And I've seen, I've seen it basically from the inception of her mm -hmm. case to the end where we years later, over 10 years later, actually maybe even 15 years later where she is now and how she's just evolved and developed and has done good and I call her that's why I, I called her my poster child of schizophrenia well um yeah so and and again you know um that being kind of a, a an extreme example exactly um you know I I do the uh you know I, I another part of the lawyer show is that I talk a lot about myself and my accomplishments and how many push-ups I can do you how know how many can you do <laughs> Not an well, not enough. Um, but but um, what what happens is um, 
you know, I, I do the, you threw me off there. <laughs> I do the Twitter feed for uh, Texas Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, and uh, I do part of it. They, they do a lot of it. Um, if there's ever a smart ass remark or anybody is about to get in a fist fight, it's probably me. Um, one of the things I did. Okay, now I might snort. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. We came close. We did. We came close. We did. We're not done. We got some time left on this show. We there, there's still hope. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, one of the I, I did I did a Twitter poll probably about a year ago, um, and I asked the question, uh, what percentage of your cases amongst criminal defense lawyers would you consider mental illness to take a part of? Um, and I think I, the, you know Twitter only lets you do so much between zero and twenty five percent, zero and fifty, or 25 and 50, you know, 50 and 75 and 75 and 100. Um, the most common answer was between 50 and 75 percent. And that's where I that's where I voted as well. But again, keeping in mind that, you know, I, I mean, it doesn't it, it, we have. And, and so the viewers know we have legal standards for some of this. And, and we're going to get into that in a minute. There's what we call competency issues which deal with a person's ability to understand what's going on. We also have um, what we would characterize as, and what you described as potentially not guilty by reason of insanity. Correct. Um, but, but beyond that, I mean, you know, I've had clients who've um, never had a, you know, never had a misstep of their life, but when they're in their early 50s, um, our physiology changes, their chemistry changes, maybe there's hereditary issues in the family. And because mom or dad was mean to them when they were seven or eight and always loved the other kid more, they go shoplifting at the age of 52 or 53. And, and, and so I would characterize that as, as mental illness, although um, it, you know, it's clearly not somebody who fits in the category of, of where you were, of, of your of your, we'll call them poster. My poster. Yeah. Your, 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 you know, of, of your client, it, it wouldn't fit in that category. But when you, when you define it broadly, I think, I think it's that pervasive. I think that, again, I, I just always go back to nobody wakes up, not many, or not many people wake up in the morning and think, man, I'm going to throw my life away today. No. And I agree. And it could be, it could start out as in, in a 50 year old, um, those are extreme cases because mm -hmm. usually you find mental illness um, affecting individuals when they're young adults, like when they are about to leave adolescence, mm -hmm. like when they're 18, a lot of times you see males. Um, that's when it does affect them with regards to schizophrenia. Um, I would say 18 to 30 um, would be, it's kind of a vast range, but mm -hmm. you can see the diagnosis um, with regards to that um, hit males at that time um and females they kind of don't have I, I don't know if necessarily are you saying females are more sane than men we are yes. well that a and given. i am more sane because i work with lots of men at the jeremy rosenthal calibestarian <laughs> you know it is men and well there's I, a difference between toughness and, and which you certainly are i can and you have to be yeah no you're you're <laughs> oh yes there's that <laughs> Um, so let's take the audio. Oh, you're listening to JP, Kathy and the crew network. You can hear JP, Kathy and the crew between seven 30 and nine Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, you're watching the lawyer show. We are your lawyers. 
uh, today. You can watch us between uh, noon and one on Thursdays on Facebook Live. Uh, so let's talk about and, and maybe take our audience through some of the, you know, because we're talking a lot about mental illness and, and kind of how they intersect, but we haven't talked a lot about what the courts necessarily do about it. So talk to the audience, if you would, about um, competency, what that means, um, and then maybe, you know, not guilty by reason of insanity. This is going to be a test. This will be, I'm glad you're writing this down finally. Um, but yeah, so talk about that. And then, uh, you know, and then there's all sorts of other stuff we can get into, but let's just start there. Okay. Well, we could start with an individual that gets arrested. And once they get arrested, they can immediately bond out when a bond is set on a case. And if an individual is not able to make bond, um, there is something out of the Code of, Cr Code of Criminal Procedure called, um, it's, it's 17.032. It's a mental health bond. Um, there are certain crimes that are going to be automatically not eligible for a 17032 mental health bond. But um, that says in the code that a judge shall grant a bond in those cases. But you do, there are requirements. Um, you know, you can't have something assaultive in your criminal history. And, and when you say bond, that's a PR bond or what we call personal recognizance bond. Correct. Which which means uh, which means that it's free, that they don't have to pay anything, but the judge gives them 18, I say 18, but the judge gives them a whole bunch of things that they have to do or they go back to jail. Correct. There's okay. lots of bond conditions I was going to talk about. The oh, sorry. I knew it. I knew it. Well, the JP, Kathy and the crew, the, the, their, their JP, Kathy and the crew network likes free things or so I'm told. So there's because it's a but you 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 get the, the personal recognizance bond. Correct. Um, and, and then talk about some of the conditions. I'm sorry I cut you off. That's OK. I'll let it slide this time. Well, um, there are conditions and a lot of times I, you know, would deal with clients and I'm like, either you can pay for your bond and be gone and, you know, until your case gets filed or you can get a mental health bond and there are conditions of seeing a mental health provider, making sure you're medicine compliant, which we can talk about medicine compliant and those issues, um, random urinalysis while you're out on bond, um, there are sometimes drug treatment, AANA, that they have to go to. You might make them take a class while they're out on bond. It's almost like you're taking probation mm -hmm. as that. And you check in with the judge once a month. there, And you call weekly instead of every day or once a week to a bonding company. You call the mental health office at the Collin County Courthouse and you check in. And, and Collin County does, um, you know, they, they've, they've come a long way and they, they actually will, they've got, they've got personnel who work for the courts. Correct. That, 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 that help facilitate even details on down to this person needs a ride to get somewhere. Correct. Every Wednesday. Um, and, um, and, and as far as you were going to talk about medications, talk about that for a sec, if you don't mind. Well, um, medications... They will get medications when they're in the jail. Um, they may not get the exact prescribed medications that they're used to getting. Um, so there are, there is that um, 
there's that little loophole. Um, some medications that a doctor prescribes in what's called the free world when you're not in jail um, are not the same medications that the jail can prescribe depending on the potency and um, whether it's classified as a certain drug or not and whether the judge does, I mean, the courts or the jails dispense that medication. Um, and, 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 uh, and addiction, and this is a separate topic, but it's kind of a salt and pepper. It kind of goes hand in hand with, with mental illness, I find, and I'm sure you do as well. Yes. People self-treat, they self-diagnose, they self-medicate. That's why drugs are such a really problem issue when it comes to mental health. Yes, you will. Actually, that's a really good transition question because mental health, individuals that have a diagnosis of mental health, they were probably, let's say, their diagnosis is ADHD, and they were given Adderall or Vyvanse um, as a kid growing up, and when they get to be an adult and they're now on their own insurance or they don't have insurance and they're adults and they're living on their own, they self-medicate, and I see that day in, day out. Individuals that have picked up a methamphetamine case and they got arrested, whether it be just a state jail amount or a small amount or a marijuana case, they do anything that they can that makes them feel better. Right. Sometimes a lot of our clients that have um, a mental illness don't want to take their prescribed medications because they don't like the way it makes them feel. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when we go back to that... Um, we also have to remember, too, people have a hard time diagnosing themselves. It's one thing to self-medicate, but that doesn't necessarily follow a self-diagnosis. In other words, you may have somebody who just likes to smoke weed because it chills them out. And, and they don't, but they've not gone through that analysis that, okay, well, there's a legal way to do this and a safer way to do this and, and a more constructive way to do this. But they get into, and I use marijuana as an example here. But they get into some kind of gateway drug, whether it, you know, which could even be some, uh, which could even be a, a, an opioid or, or something like that, and off they go. Right. And, you know, and I tell my clients, um, not everyone likes to take medication. I take medication, not necessarily for mental illness every day, but I do take medications. And, you know, I don't want to have to take medications, but I do. Um, we all... No one likes tax day, April 15th, but we pay our taxes. And October 15th, if you filed a, a six-month extension. But, you know, like I said, um, and that's one of the conversations I have with clients is, you know, you've got to stay on your medication. And a lot of times they're like, well, I don't like the way it makes me feel. And I'm like, well, you take it one day. Why don't we try taking it seven days? Or why don't we try... a a few days at a time and see how that makes you feel. And they're like, well, I guess I could. And I go, you know, and I could be personal and I, I've had cancer before and I didn't like taking medication when I had that. And I did. And, um, I, I use that with my clients. Sometimes I just keep it real. You know, I, I had that diagnosis and I took care of stuff and, um, didn't want to have to take medication, but I did. And, and a lot of this turns on the stigma. The stigma of I can tough this out, that right. that I come from you know my dad was strong, my you know my my I, I was raised to deal with my own problems, 
Um, you know, yeah, I, I understand, Vanita, if you were sick and you had cancer, well, of course you're going to take medication, but we're talking about mental illness, and I just don't believe in that. Right. There's a lot of people that, that we deal with that. We deal with that with a lot of our clients, and that's some of the reluctance to be medicated. Correct. I mean, and it is, it's the stigma, and it's something that needs to change because it's like any other illness. Um, mental illness is here. It's not going to go away. It's not like, oh, we've got, you know, it's, let's bring it on. It's just, it's part of the, our society. And, you know, a lot of times. And the times, pandemic has done very little to help that, but keep going. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And I, technology, I think, has helped with some of that um, with our children. Um, with ADHD, just watching, you know, pacifying them by sticking an iPad in front of them while the parents go have dinner. I don't, I, that, you know, we can start with that. Um, I think just the sheer amount of times the screen changes and lets them watch TV or, you know, movies that it's leading to our children and their mental illness that they are going to have to deal with when they're later on in, in years. And I might be a big, you know, that's, something I can't say I was one to put an iPad in front of my child but she does have an iPhone and she does play with it so don't I'm not and apparently it can be done so uh, so long as, for an entire time for you guys to go out and have dinner <laughs> yeah okay I didn't know it could be done for well no I, <laughs> no I've got a no I've got a daughter as well and and yeah um, definitely an issue these days um, so okay uh, what's competency Competency. Sorry, that was an I issue think we, we talked about, about. Yeah, maybe about 15. It's okay. Well, competency is under Chapter 46B of the Penal Code, and it talks about. I mean, look at talk. I mean, I talk about all the push-ups I can do and all the war stories. You're like citing the code. It's like you're a lawyer. I know, and you're talking about push-ups. That how many again could you do? Yeah, we, we, we we're going to change the topic on that again. See, he keeps skirting the issue. Okay, what chapter is chapter forty six B is it forty six B? You see, I threw how I threw that in the B. I told you B. You didn't say B. I did. We can rewind the tape. We you will. said chapter forty six. I said B, and C is for insanity. Okay, keep going. Competency. Competency. Um, it's whether or not you have. It's basically defined whether you have a rational understanding of the proceedings that are going on, whether you know who the players are. A lot of times people meet with individuals and they think their client's not competent, but their client can still answer the questions that are need for legal competency. Legal competency is whether you understand the role the prosecutor plays, the judge plays, the defense attorney, and what a jury would do. Um, you know, it's very, the threshold is very low mm -hmm. um, when it comes to competency. It's whether or not you can have a rational understanding of the surroundings mm -hmm. of what's going on if you can deal with your attorney and explain and have a defense or talk to them about the facts and circumstances surrounding a case so the threshold is low but a lot of times we will get an individual evaluated because there are some other issues because you're like well we can deal with an issue but they never mm -hmm. stay on topic and they you know right and that, Go goes, off topic. that goes to their ability to communicate with counsel. Correct. And assist in their own defense. 
Um, and that, that can actually be probably my experience. I, I, you know, you can talk for yourself. I mean, yes, you're going to get those people who are, you know, the CIA is talking to them in their jail cell and they're, they're in some top secret, you know, capacity. You know, you, you're going to get those types of folks. But you're also going to get the ones who you can't get a word in edgewise, almost like the lawyer show. And, and so what happens is uh, when you try to have a conversation with a client and you try to ask them, okay, what happened? Tell me what happened. And they answer your question for about two seconds and then they're off into the weeds or they're off somewhere else. And it's perpetual to the point where you spend an hour not getting anywhere with them. And they can't assist you because right. they, can't keep on this, they can't keep on one thought because right. they have racing thoughts going throughout. And so... Those individuals do need to get evaluated, and once they're evaluated, um, they do come back. Um, if they are found incompetent, mm -hmm. they will wait, usually, to go to a state hospital. We do, the code has now allowed for us to do what's called OCR, or outpatient competency restoration. Um, that does happen for certain cases. Usually you'll find it for lower offense cases like misdemeanors. Um, mm -hmm. It has happened on some felonies, like low-level drug cases and cases of that nature. But with regards to a sexual assault or a, a theft or robbery or something like that, usually those individuals are, you know, sent to the state hospital. And this is th this is a good point too that uh, you know I think um, you know. Just, just from you know, from a lawyer standpoint, from our standpoint, here's a really, really hard situation that we get put into a lot, because our job is to defend our client, our job is to get our client through the situation, our job is to do the best we can do for the client, and not only that, you know, we're we're we're, we're business people too, you know, we're we're you know, we're getting paid um, by the client to to help them with this problem, and then when it it when there's a an avenue that has to be followed like competency it, you know you're telling the client time out okay i'm going to have you potentially sent to a state hospital because i don't think you're 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 i don't think things are right up there right um and so we're 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 in a really tough position because on one end if we don't do that then we're frankly not doing our jobs and what could happen is let's take let's take a client who's charged let's make it something bad right let's say a client's you know because there's so many great things you can be charged with but let, let, let's make it a felony let's say that it's sexual assault right and let's say you have a client who um who you question their competency um you know this client expects to go back to their job at their top five accounting firm every week but but you're doing your best if you lose that case and that client has to register as a sex offender for life or they go to prison it's your fault right. and if and if the client wasn't competent and you still pushed it to trial it's your fault but pre-trial you're still you have this dynamic where well hold on we still have to get you checked out we still have to get we have to make sure this is fine because i'm putting my license on the line frankly right to push this thing to trial just to keep you happy um it can be a real issue sometimes. It does. It does throw a snafu in it, especially sure. with the waits to go mm -hmm. to a state hospital. Um, you know, we don't have that many state hospitals. 
And um, depending on the kind of case it is, if it's a sexual assault, that individual would go to the Vernon State Hospital. And the wait to go there could take anywhere up to nine months to a year. Right. right now, I mean, especially with the pandemic and people not, the jail's not accepting people or taking people to certain mm-hmm. um, hospitals and um, keeping them in local yeah. um, jails. So and that's then also another problem. If you're court appointed on a case like this, if they're dealing with a court appointed attorney and that attorney says, well, we need to get you checked out. And oh, by the way, uh, if this all goes a certain direction, um, you could go to a state hospital that turns that really turns that dynamic on its head just the same because then the person doesn't trust their lawyer and doesn't want to help their lawyer and you're just you, you just work for the government right. you're just one of them um, and and so it can be a real real headache for for us as well it is it, it sometimes and it's bad that we don't in the state of Texas have the resources or have mental health um, programs out there and you know in the state texas is actually 49th of all the states that have resources for mental illness because texas doesn't have mental illness and so that's uh, is that because we're tough here exactly it's we're all jeremy rosenthal tough that can do lots of (laughs) push-ups um so um you know we don't have the funding to have the resources available there are resources, but they're very limited in Texas. Um, so, you know, maybe one day there will be some resources available and hospitals open up and, you know, for individuals that do need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Collin County does an okay job. Um, and I think they've done, you, you I mean, no, Collin County in itself has done. I think they've done. I think they do a lot better than than they had, and I think we do better here than other counties around us. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, Collin County itself um, does a great job with regards to the people running things and mm-hmm. how things work. But I'm just talking about with regards to mental illness in and of itself. We have one provider, which is LifePath Systems, and LifePath does a great job. Um, helping individuals, but we have no homeless in Collin County because Collin County doesn't have homeless shelters. There is the Samaritan Inn, and um, but that's about it. And a lot of times, if there are individuals that have had hard times and have to find a, a homeless shelter to go to because the a case has lost their job and a husband or wife has left them because of this mental illness, they've got to find housing. Well, Collin County doesn't have housing, and that's why kind of why I'm smart. Um, okay. It's not necessarily the courthouse, because the courthouse and everything to do with um, resources, there's great help in Collin County. But a lot of times you have to go to Dallas um, to go to those homeless shelters and find places to stay. Good, good infrastructure and resources at the top, not so much everywhere else. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there are resources, but... It can get it starts dwindling. Yeah, and 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 kind of going back to, to one of the original thing or to one of the things that we were talking about at the beginning. Um, one of the biggest frustrations I've had is again in dealing with prosecutors who um, and and I and if you think I know everything now, you should have known me when I was a prosecutor in my twenties. I really knew everything then. And I don't think that now either. And 
again, yeah, as, as, and there's really no reason to. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I've got a, you've got a lot of good friends who are prosecutors. I've got a lot of good friends who are prosecutors. And, and the vast majority of them are very hardworking, very well-intentioned. But again, unless or until you've had the family crying at your office, you know, you don't tend to understand the depths of the issue. You know, I, uh, uh, there was a lawyer I know who used to, he used to kind of halfway joke. I mean, it's, you know, obviously sarcasm, but, you know, they used to say, you know, the 6 a.m. yoga class just isn't going to work, you know, and, and talking about uh, a client who was abused or neglected or, or potentially molested themselves as a child who grows up uh, gets into drugs, have, has all types of mental issues, cuts themselves, um, and, and then gets in criminal trouble on their own. Um, you got to have a deeper understanding and, you know, and, and, and it's really, really hard when you're a prosecutor, it's really hard to see that firsthand and to get that experience firsthand. It is hard. And uh, like I said earlier, with regards to starting the mental health division in Dallas, it opened up my eyes because I didn't see it as a prosecutor. When I first started, it was something that um, there are a few prosecutors that currently now in Collin County, as well as in Dallas, um, that have gone back, that were defense attorneys that have gone back. Um, actually, not so much in Collin, but in Dallas um, under um, the DA in Dallas, John Crusoe, there are um, quite a few ex-prosecutors that are back working, and so they've kind of seen both sides and are able to see the big picture. Because a lot of times it's hard to make, because usually prosecutors start out, that's their first job out of law school, and they haven't switched sides, mm -hmm. and they haven't seen the other side of it. And eventually one day they will, and maybe they will realize that, oh, this was something that you know, Vanita or Mr. Rosenthal or Jeremy was talking about, and, oh, I see what I think they, they talk about us in four-letter terms. I don't think they call us by our first. That's your speak back yourself. Well, I don't even, I, I don't even think I'm that important enough to him, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with, um, and, and, and I, I'm quick to blame prosecutors for anything and everything, but this is, you know, I'm sure there's a lot watching our show. Um, <laughs> but in, in reality, this is something that I, you know, this is one of those things I just is a frustration that I can't, you know, it's just not their fault. I mean, again, you know, they're in there dealing with now and, and the police. It, it, one interesting thing about mental illness is I think police and pro prosecutors have probably a very, very different experience when it comes to mental illness, because I think the police are out there every day dealing with it. But they're but what they're doing is they're 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 putting out the fire. Right. So and to speak. a lot of officers now have gone through what's called CIT training, which is crisis intervention training. And I think it's starting to go where they require it. And I know in lieu of what's been going on right. now recently with regards to protests, et cetera. De escalation. Right. They want to de escalate the situation. Um most Police agencies require their officers to go through the CIT training. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's something that definitely they should go through the training. And if they haven't already, they need to sign up for it. Um, and 
get refresher courses of it because just because you went to it 20 years ago doesn't mean that you're going to be up and abreast of what's going on today. Right. And, and, you know, again, that's a really, uh, that's a really hard, it's a really hard job that they have. Um, we've got, uh, JP, Kathy and the crew nation has asked a question. Um, why is there only one homeless shelter in Collin County? I was going to make a fabulous point. I forgot what it was. Why is there only one, uh, homeless shelter in Collin County? Well, that might be a question for our county commissioners. Mm-hmm. We might want to start with the top. I, I don't know. Um, there are food pantries in Collin County. There's Minnie's Food Pantry. There's Allen Community Outreach. And now it's called All Community Outreach. Um, and then there is Samaritan Inn. But Samaritan Inn um, is pretty selective on individuals that they allow in. Um, we are thankful we do have the Samaritan Inn, so I'm not talking bad, but it is very hard sometimes to get clients a bed at Samaritan Inn. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what can, let, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what improvements that you've seen made, say in the last 10 years, and then let's talk about what improvements you think that can be made. And before you do that, you're watching JP and Kathy and the crew network, and you can watch JP, Kathy and the crew between 7.30 and 9, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You're watching The Lawyer Show, uh, and we're on between noon and 1 on Thursdays. Do you remember the question? No, Sorry, no. I don't either. Um, <laughs> funding. What, for, I would say funding okay. is where we need to go. We need funding um, to help with resources. Things that have gotten better in the last 10 years is people now understand it's not so much of a stigma as it used to be. Um, in general, Collin County, um, the resources are kind of where they've been. Um, but we do have um, a jail and, you know, the individuals that work at the jail have been great to work with, with individuals and helping you with individuals that are in jail, the infirmary, the nurses, the doctors, they've been great support in helping clients and family members that call the jail with regards to, we need to get our son or daughter or husband or wife, um, sorry, um, the medication that they do have or need or that are prescribed. Um, so we do have that, but again, it's the funding and getting places that are out there because Life Path Systems, um, their funding is limited as well. And like all of these places, whether it be, and these are just free services and individuals can get, because I do know that the show loves free services. And so that would be something um, with regards to, so Life Path is there for Collin County and in Dallas County it would be Metricare Services as well as ADAPT. Um, Some of the other um, agencies that were out there, I think have now merged with other, with Metricare and ADAPT and are no longer out there. So there are bigger services. Um, I was wanting to get, and I forgot to get the crisis number if Mm. you are in crisis and I can probably look that up. Um, We can probably, uh, you know, we have uh, Heidi, from our office who's right. here who's mortified by being mentioned by name and she's uh, amazing she's she is that she is <laughs> that uh and she she could probably uh hit the google button and 
and then throw that in the uh, in the comment section and so, yeah. so everybody so, can uh, see that wanted to make sure there was like a 1-800 number if there's someone in you know in crisis and a lot of times individuals um, we have cases that um, they call 911 thinking that they're going to be sending their loved one to the hospital but end up later finding out that there was a case filed on their right. their son or daughter or husband or wife and I know you've had cases mm -hmm. like that as well as I and um, it is something um, that the individual is getting the help that they need at that point in time, it, you know, that they're dealing with. But um, a lot of times calling 911, um, listeners also need to know that there may or may not be a case that follows with it, whether it be yeah. an assault or something of that nature. And yes. And, and, it, 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 and this is just such a, such a, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a horrible point, but it's just one of these confounding problems that we have is that, um, you know, if somebody feels like they're in danger, if somebody feels in fear, then you got to call 911. You got to call the police if you, if you feel like your life is threatened or, you know, if you have a loved one that is, that is, that is just having an episode where, where somebody's going to get hurt, you know, and, and, but when you, when you do call 911, you kind of open Pandora's box because you don't know who's going to answer that call. You don't know their outlook on things. And they may say, well, I'm not familiar with how to get a mental health warrant, so, but I do know how to take him to jail. Not only that, but it's also the 911 operator that takes the call right. as well as the police officer that exactly. shows up at the call. Exactly. And, and you know, you, there's no guarantee that... that um, there's no guarantee that that's going to end up the way that you anticipate it. But again, you know, um, I've always, it, it, we have a, a weird dynamic too, because what will happen is the parents will come in or family members come in and the family sort of collectively puts their money together to hire us on a, on a typical, on a, on a, on, on a certain case. The client would be the individual who's the mentally ill one. Correct. Um, and if that person has an episode at home and I get asked this before, well, Jeremy, what do I do? If he's doing this again, if he's taking his the baseball bat and smashing the toilet into a million pieces, what do we do? And you know, what do we do? Well, you call the police. You know, I mean, there's no, there's no attorney-client privilege for something that happens in the future, and there also is none for somebody who's in danger. So, um, you know, that that comes first. Uh, but that's just part of that 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 awkward dynamic that a lot of times um, this sets up. Um, We've got about five minutes left. I know you were wanting to talk about football. Um, Actually, that's a sore subject right now. Oh, that's right. You're a Texas fan. Did you guys blow a 15-point lead with three minutes left? Oh, that was the Red Raiders. Yeah. We did that. Yeah. Um, but we did have we did do a good job in Texas OU. I still they came back and in the fourth overtime did not finish the game. But I noticed. Yes. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Let's talk about one thing that we've left uncovered, uh, because I do think people have probably some curiosity about this. Let's talk about not guilty by reason of insanity, okay? okay. Uh, Texas insanity law is um, tough. Talk it about, is. T t t tell the, I was gonna say tell the jury. Uh, uh, I'm just used to doing that. Um, tell, tell the jury uh, what it means to be not guilty by reason of insanity. What's, uh, well, in, layman's terms it's telling not knowing the difference between right and wrong at the time of the offense 
So someone at the time of the offense, they could go in and out of insanity. It could be something that you think they're fine, but at the time an offense was committed, whether it be a shoplift or an assault, or in my case, the woman that threw her kids off the bridge, um, it, as drastic as that is, um, it could be at that moment, you did not know right from wrong. You were out of touch with rea reality. And you can go back to the olden days and start with the McNaughton rule and go back into the history of it. But um, now that's flexing. That's to go back to, that's like my first year of law school, the McNaughton rule. Tell, tell the, Tell the jury what the McNaughton rule is. Again, it has to do with not knowing the difference between right and wrong. So, okay, now, and, and something that, that differentiates Texas from other jurisdictions um, is that in Texas, you have to have zero concept that what you're doing is uh, wrong. I probably butchered the way that that's supposed to be done. But in other words, there are some states where if because of my insanity or or whatever's going on if i know 80% if i'm 80 if my if my mental state is 80% blocked by my insanity other states will say that's good enough texas says no no it's got to be that you were insane at the time had zero of appreciation between right and wrong right okay and so they don't just oh you were a little bit insane and it's mm -hmm. okay or you were a lot insane, but you kind of still knew what was going on. Still doesn't work in the state. Right. So, I mean, Texas wants you, I mean, wants someone to decide, wants a doctor and as well, that's a litigate, that's something that's litigated because you can have one expert saying they weren't insane at the time and another expert saying they were. And that's a lot of times okay. jury trials and it's up to the jury. 12 members in a felony case or mm -hmm. six in a misdemeanor to determine whether they did know right from wrong. Right. And, 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 and it can be a real hard one. And I don't know, uh, I forget that, I think the case was uh, in Collin County, we had one. And, and, and so everybody knows kind of procedurally what's going on here. And I'll, I'll take you through this case. Again, the, you know, really horrific facts. Um, this this uh, was a lady, I think it was Schlosser was her name. Um, she actually cut her, I think, her child's arms off at one point. Um, horrific, horrific, uh, you know, circumstance. I think the child died. Um, and uh, she had three psychologists who all testified, this lady's as nuts as she can be. She did it because the demons and the whatever's going on in her mind. And the prosecutor couldn't find anybody. Very, you know, the prosecutors even went out and this was a previous administration, the, the, the DA's office went out and they could not find, I don't think, and this may be my recollection, I could be wrong, but I recall that they didn't have anybody who could, who could counter that. And still the jury deadlocked. So the jury had three psychiatrists, mental health professionals, PhD degrees that said this lady did not know what she was doing was right or wrong. And still the emotional part of it, uh, that's my uh, my alarm for telling me it's time to, to, for, for us to wrap this up. But but what was happening was that the emotional thing is it, it's so powerful for the jury to hear such awful facts. They just wanted to hold her responsible, even though the law said 
you know, even though the law and three experts said, no, that's really not the case. Um, what ultimately ended up happening is uh, after the jury deadlocked, uh, the judge says, why don't you guys just let me decide this? Um, and they, they, they asked the judge to decide it, and the judge says, all right, you're incompetent or you're, you're you know, not guilty by reason of insanity. And another important thing for the jury to know is that when you're, when you're found not guilty by reason of insanity, you're not done. Right. I was going to say you're not let go at that moment, and that's what I was saying with my client is that we, I had her for 15 years or so because she was under the jurisdiction of the court, and they retained jurisdiction during the – during the pendency of the statute of limitations. So if a case with is murder life would and, be would be life. Yeah. And the court could maintain control or jurisdiction of that case until life mm-hmm. or for the life of the client. And not only that, you're not entitled to expunction. Correct. You can't get it off your record. So um, so even though you're technically not guilty by reason of insanity, it could certainly be lengthy incarceration in a hospital as compared to a prison. Right. Correct. And these are probably things that jurors aren't told because we would, we, we tend to say, well, juries get too confused by these things. We'll just tell mm-hmm. them, you know, they just flip the coin and do that, right? right? That's true. And, you know, so it's just a matter of a lot of times it's also the limited amount of time you have to select a jury. Because sometimes right. if you do have more time, you can kind of get into some of that. That's right. So um, if you guys want more lawyer show, uh, then come by our office sometime, get to know us, be friendly with us, uh, pay our fees, and then we'll let you hang out in the office and you can hear talk like this all day uh, <laughs> between Vanita, myself, and all the other lawyers at Rosenthal Calibus Tarion. Uh, but uh, this has been a pleasure today. So thank you, thank Vanita, you. for joining me on The Lawyer Show. And thank you. Thank you. All right.